Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 534 for the 19th of ER in a regular year. So the theme of yesterday's episode was all about how the way that God relates to his creation including the world in which we live, is through constricting himself in order to make space for other. And the ramification of this, in terms of how it relates to us, is that if we want to have a reciprocal relationship with God, we too need to make space in our lives for him. And the the conclusion, the very end of, of the section that we read yesterday, kind of bring, brought this home in a very intense way, that what this means by making space for God is to make sure that nothing hinders our love of God. Nothing stands in the way of our love of God. Nothing takes precedence over our love of God. And what this means isn't just like, you know, when if we have a choice between watching a movie that we really love and or uh, praying to God because we need to pray to God, that we choose praying to God. Uh, but rather, what this means, as explained by the Altar Rebbe, is that this is actually talking about things when we talk about love in a much deeper way of the people that we tend to love the most, namely ourselves and our family, our spouses, our children, that these very things should that we love so dearly and so deeply and that it's natural for us to love these things. These this these loves that we have for ourselves and for our family should also not hinder our love of God, should not take precedence over our love of God. So this idea itself might sound really shocking at first glance if it's the first time that you've ever heard this before. And it might sound like that it's counter to Judaism uh, if, if it's not understood completely, because we know that Judaism is a very family-oriented religion. We know that, in fact, the very first mitzvah that's given in the Torah is to be f- fruitful and multiply. So we're supposed to get married. We're supposed to have children. We're supposed to love our families. We're supposed to love our children. We're supposed to be family people. So what does this mean that... Um, we sh- on the one hand, we love our families, but this love should not take precedence over our love of God. And how is this even possible? Like, how how can we even expect this of a person? Like, our families are right here in the here and now, and this is this is what we see and experience with our own eyes. We you know we learn about God, we meditate about God, but uh, you know God really isn't. We don't experience God in that same tangible, experiential way as we do our own flesh and blood. So uh, so how can this even be asked of us that we can? Can it, can we really put God above our families in terms of our love? So the theme of today's section is going to be answering that second question about um, addressing that second question about how it is, yes, it is possible to work towards actually making God a priority, even over and above yourself, over and above your family and, you know, having God be your ultimate true one love. But before we get into that, I thought it would be useful to just explain kind of from my understanding why we should even 
have this as a value, how, how to reconcile this idea of, yes, on the one hand, Judaism is a very family-oriented religion, but on the other hand, we do want to have God be our primary love, in a certain sense, we can say our only love, you know, and at the same time, have healthy and happy relationships with our spouses and our children. And the way that this makes sense to me, and perhaps this is just, you know, my own take on it, uh, is really understanding the idea of codependency and what, um, and what it means to be codependent and how to break free from codependency. So I believe that I've spoken about codependency a bit in this podcast previously uh, and how this relates to God and our relationship with God, but I'll, I'll mention it here again. And I'll also mention that as a recommendation, if you want to explore this topic a little bit more, I would highly recommend another safer which I think is a really good companion safer to the Tanya in general, which is the safer known as Shar Habitachon, the gate of trust, meaning trust in God, which is part of a larger uh, body of work called Chovas Elevavos, the duties of the heart by a rabbi named Rabbeinu Bechai. So in, in that in that Sefer, in, in uh, Shara B'Tachon, it's all, that book is all about how to cultivate a deep sense of trust of God, cultivating our relationship with God. And it really teaches us the hows and whys to develop this relationship with God where God is our main and in a certain sense, soul partner in life. So that even once a person gets married and, and has a relationship with their spouse and has children, God willing, and all of those things, their real primary relationship is really with God. And so the idea behind this is that, well, yes, it's beautiful to have a relationship with our spouses, with our families, with ourselves. We want to have healthy relationships with ourselves. What we don't want to do is we don't want to give them power that they don't have, ascribe power to them that they don't have. What does ascribing power to somebody that they don't have look like? Well, this could be, you know, getting your entire sense of self-worth and validation from the other person. This can be doing things to please the other person, engaging in people-pleasing behaviors. Or when it comes to ourselves, feeling in a very uh, delusional way that we have power over the world around us, that we have power over the outcomes of our actions, when this is in fact totally false. So while we know that we do have power over the choices we make, the choices between good and evil, between engaging in reality in a positive and productive way or abstaining, like tuning out from reality or maybe doing something more destructive, God forbid, for whatever reason, the ultimate, um, the ultimate ramification of our, of our action, the ultimate outcome of our actions, that's all set up by God. You know, how this works, this whole interplay of free will and predestination, that's a whole topic for another time. But ultimately, at the end, end of the day, neither we nor anybody else in our families have any power over the world, over what happens in the world. Nobody can actually hurt you. Nobody can actually make you feel a certain way. Feeling anger towards somebody is a form of idolatry, in fact. Feeling like somebody ruined your life, God forbid, you know, this is, this is ridiculous because nobody can ruin your life. Nobody has that power. Nobody has power over anything except for God. And so too, in a positive way, you know, let's say you have a really loving spouse, really loving children, a uh, really loving relationship with yourself. That's great. That's really good. But nevertheless, these people are not, well, um, they might be giving you love. They cannot be the, uh, the sole arbitrators of your validation of making you feel like a worthy human being. 
and feeling like they can, while this might feel really good uh, to feel like this at first, you know, to especially if it's in the earlier part of the relationship, the person's buying you presents and and uh, giving and giving you compliments and doing all these nice things, you're getting such nice feelings from them. This can ultimately be a trap because then you become dependent on this person when in fact this person never had the power in any capacity to begin with to make you feel one way or another. You were ascribing that power to them, and ultimately when we ascribe power to people that they don't have, this will ultimately inevitably lead to disappointment on our end or resentment on both of our ends because people cannot always be, are not gonna always be perfect. People have their own needs. People have their own stuff going on. Your needs change, their needs change. You know, and it's it's just not healthy. That's not, you know, to, to be in a relationship with somebody out of need is not a productive relationship versus the healthy way that you want to approach marriage, the healthy way that you want to approach um, having children, having relationships with anybody is not in terms of what they can give to you because they can't ultimately give anything to you because all that is coming from God, but it's how you can grow from the relationship, what you can give to them by way of you being a conduit of God. So again, even when you're giving to them, it's not you ultimately giving to them. You're not actually changing anybody's life. Like one of the mistakes that codependents have is that they think mistakenly that they can change the other person. They can make the other person like them. They can get the per in more extreme examples. A lot of codependents sometimes can be in relationship with addicts and they mistakenly think that if only they do this and this and this, they can get the addict to change their behavior. They can act, get the addict to change their ways. When this is totally and ultimately fault. Nobody can change anybody else. Nobody has that kind of control. The only person who can actually control reality is God. And once we recognize this, once we make this shift, this switch, that ultimately the true power is God, then what this will ultimately do is it actually will improve our relationship with other people. So it won't make us be become detached from reality if we do it in the right way and become aesthetics and not want to get married and not want to have children. But in fact, we're going to want to have children. We're going to want to get married, but for the right reasons, because now we're not dependent upon them. Now all we have, all, all, we, we're getting our sustenance from God. We're getting our... Um, a reboot from our source. And then we, we're actually fully charged. And then we're not coming from a place of neediness. We're coming from a place of giving. So this is a huge topic and there's a lot more that could be said about it. But uh, that's, you know, I wanted to just give you guys a little brief overview of this idea before we get into the actual topic of today's episode, which is namely, how do we do this? So once we understand, and again, I encourage you guys to explore this topic further through learning Sharbitachan and other other sperm, other teachings that explore this matter further. Um, so once we understand that truly the best way to have a healthy relationship with ourselves, with our spouses, with our children, and really with everybody in the world is through really um, uh, developing our relationship with God and seeing God as the ultimate focus of, of our love and where our love should be, then the question comes up, which is how do we do this? How How is this even attainable? How can we uh, begin to cultivate this deep love of God that we've been talking about? And that's going to be what it is that we're going to be talking about today. And the, uh, and the, the, the vantage point through which we're going to explore this topic is by looking at the first two blessings that we recite before reciting the Shema, which, you know, the, often in, um, in, Judaism, before doing a mitzvah and reciting the Shema every day is a mitzvah, then we say a, a blessing 
before engaging in that mitzvah. But usually the blessing that we say has some kind of connection in, a, in an overt way to the mitzvah that we're going to be doing. So, you know, for example, before you wash your hands, before eating bread, we say the bracha of al yadaim, which literally means the lifting of the hands. Because it's like after washing our hands, we kind of raise them up, like showing that there's an elevation of the hands going on. Uh, or before we eat bread, then we say the, the blessing of hamotzi lechemina aretz, which means he who is, extracts uh, bread from the ground. So it's, again, very related to the bread that we're going to be eating. But in the case of the mitzvah of the Shema, the two blessings which we recite before don't have as much of a, you know, overt connection. The first blessing that we recite has to do with the angels and their service of God. And the second blessing has to do with God's love of the world. And God, and so neither of these really seem to directly reference the Shema prayer, the the paragraphs of the Shema that we say. So today's episode is going to be exploring this connection between these two paragraphs of the Shema and how these two paragraphs of the Shema actually do very much relate to the Shema prayer. And we'll see how all of this really relates to this uh, to this um, process that we want to engage in of, uh, of connecting ourselves to God as our soul love, because ultimately that's what the mission of the Shema is. The, the recitation of the Shema is about declaring God as being the ultimate relationship that we have, the true unity, the oneness of everything, where we're to the point that we really do uh, abnegate all of our other relationships, even our relationship with ourselves, with our lives, with our loved ones, all for ultimately to go back to God, all for the sake of God. And we'll see how these two blessings that we say before the Shema can really be thought of as meditations that can help us get there. So let's get into the text and see how the Altar Rebbe explains all of this. And for context, we're in the middle of chapter 49 of Likud Amarim. And so the Altar Rebbe begins today by referencing yesterday's episode, yep, yesterday's section where he says, through all of this, meaning through what we spoke about yesterday, this idea of how nothing should hinder one's love of God, not even their own body, not even their own spouse, not even their own uh, their own children. So through this idea, we're going to come to understand the reason why the Chachamim, the sages, set up that there should be these two blessings before the Shema prayer. Because seemingly, as I just mentioned in the introduction, they have no connection to the Shema. Uh, and this is something that the other, that different postgame, different uh, commentaries have actually noticed. Uh, for example, the Rashba noticed this. And so thus, why do we call them the Brachos of Kriya Shema? We call them the blessings of the Shema. And why did the Chachamim decide to put these before the Shema? What's that about? And so the altar rabbi says that the reason for this is that the main idea of the Shema, why do we say the, the Shema prayer? What's that about? Uh, why do we recite the Shema? The reason why we recite the Shema is for us to fulfill this uh, teaching of the idea of the Cholavavcha, with all of your heart. Meaning to say what this means is that it should be with both of your impulses, with your impulse to do good and your impulse to do bad, both of these should serve God. Like this is this is what it means with your full heart, to serve God with a full heart. Meaning to say, the Altar Rebbe explains that this means that we should stand in the face of anything that might be preventing a person from loving God. And when we talk about levavcha with your heart, the Altar Rebbe says that this is an allusion to one's wife and one's children because it's natural, it's the nature of a person to be connected to their family, to their wife and their children, right? 
And this is actually in accordance with Judaism. So as I mentioned again in the introduction, you know, we're, we're family people. We're supposed to get married and have children. And the Gemara actually um, talks about this in Masechet Shabbos, page 152a, that uh, in the explanation on the verse from Tehillim, Hu amar ve'yihi? So this is, you know, for he spoke, meaning for God spoke and it came to pass and God commanded and it stood fast that this is a reference to a person's wife and children, that is a reference to one's wife and this is a reference to one's children. So meaning to say that God set it up in such a way that we, that a person by nature is connected to their wife and to their children. But nevertheless, and we're saying the Shema prayer, it's, uh, you know, we're, what we're meant to do is we're actually supposed to give over this natural love that we have for our wife and for our children. And we're supposed to make sure that this love and attachment that we have to our to our spouses and to our children doesn't hinder us from from attaching ourselves to God, from connecting to God. And then when it goes on, you know, in the Shema, it says, so that's with your heart. And then it says, so is your soul, is your might. And this is referencing your life, like your own self, your own, your own flesh and blood. And your is a reference to your sustenance, to your pranasa, to the money that you make. And so the whole idea is that we're supposed to take all of these things, our love for our families, our love for ourselves, our love for our money, for our sustenance, and channel all of these things in such a way that we give them all up uh, in the face of our love of God. So how do we do this? Like, how is this even possible that we can do this, that this is something that we can do? So this is what the first blessing of the Shema is all about. This is the first blessing teaches us how to do this. That's the blessing of Yotzer Or, of he who forms the light, formed light. So for context, the entire bracha is Baruch atah Hashem elokeinu menach haolam Yotzer Or uvrei choshech oseh shalom uvrei takol. So blessed are you, God our God, the king of the universe who forms light and creates darkness and makes peace and creates everything. So now is not the time to elaborate upon this entire blessing, but it is the time to talk about how after this blessing, there's actually a full couple of paragraphs where it really is talk it talks about at length about the order of the angels that stand in the higher realms and who talk about the greatness of God, how they are all nullified to God's light. So you can go and get a sitter if you'd like, maybe a, a translation if you need one, and really look at how that's laid out. It really goes into great detail about how it is that the angels stand there and they they voice their fear of God, they sanctify God, and they say with great fear about how sanctified God is. They say, kadosh, 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 holy, 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 etc. Meaning to say, and, and again, focusing on, if you go back to that previous episode where we talked about this idea of sanctification, what is some what makes something sacred or holy, it means that it's something separate. So it's the angels acknowledge the fact that God is separate from them and God does not vest himself within them in a way that is revealed, but rather he fills the entirety of the earth with his glory, which is what is the entirety of the earth? This is Knesset Yisrael, which is what is Knesset Yisrael? Knesset Yisrael is the congregation of Israel, and that's like the the abode of the source of all souls above, and Yisrael here below, and the Jewish people down here below. And so too, the Ofanim and the Chayot HaKodesh, these are other types of angels, they scream out, with, they make a lot of noise about how great God is and how wondrous and, and God's glory is in his place. 
because they don't know nor comprehend his place, meaning that they, they, they can't comprehend God's place as lofty as they are. As they say, that he alone is lofty and holy. So what the ultra is basically trying to teach us here is to teach us how the reason, give us a, an insight into the reason for that first blessing that we say in the, before we say the Shema and how the purpose of, the, of that first blessing is really to give us like a new perspective on our lives and to take us out of this more myopic, ten, these more myopic ten, tendencies that we tend to have in viewing our lives and viewing like our families, our homes, our ourselves, our work, all these things. We, we live in this like day-to-day life where we see what it is right in front of our eyes. But in truth, there's something much greater. In truth, there's God. And God is the one who is responsible for everything. And God is the one that's creating everything, something from nothing at all times. And so we're pretty oblivious to this at all times. But the goal of our lives is really to come to an, a state of awareness of this. And to come to this realization that God really is behind it all and and how much God put himself aside in order to create this world that we live in. And so to give us like a, a sense of how it is even possible for us to do this is by looking at the angels and to look at how the angels serve God and how the angels relate to God and how self how subjugated they are before God and what their awareness of is of how great God is. And perhaps in meditating upon this and thinking about it at length, it may not bring us to the state of being angels, nor should it really, because we don't want to be angels. We want to stay human, but perhaps it can expand our vision just a little bit to give, get us into the state of really seeing this rea- seeing reality for what it is and seeing that there's something more than that. What just meets the eye here and that we can, just like God removed himself to have a relationship with us, maybe we can remove ourselves from our small perspective and create a relationship with him. And now the altar rabbi goes on to address the second blessing of the Shema, the second blessing that we say before the Shema, which is the blessing of Avat Olam. And it's Avat Olam, Avatanu, Hashem Elokeinu. So meaning to say that the, this love of the world, this is the love by which God loves us. God, our God loves us, meaning to say God set aside all of the holy heavenly hosts and he decided to bring his Shrina and have it dwell upon us. And to the point that he is actually called our God, we don't just say God, you know, we believe in God. We say that God is our God. There's a possessiveness to it. Just like we say that God is the God of Abraham, etc. As we explained above, we said that this, that God is the God of Abraham, this same God, that's the God of Abraham, is our God. And this is due to the fact that love impels the flesh, as we explained. So this idea that when you love something, then you want to contract yourself and give to them. So it impels you to do things for this person. And this is why it's called avat olam. Why? Because olam, this is the aspect of symptom of the contraction of God's great light, which is without end to have it become enclosed in a very limited place, which is called olam. So now the altar rabbi doesn't get into this here, but I think it's important to mention that the word olam in Hebrew is a very interesting word because it means literally world, but it comes from the same root as the word helem, which means hiddenness. So right there in the word for world itself, we can see this hinted at. We can see the idea that in order to create, in order to have there be a world, 
it necessitates that there be a concealment. So creation and concealment go hand in hand, as paradoxical that might, as that might sound. So going back to our text, so we're saying here that God basically, out of his love for the Jewish people, for beginning with Abraham, this compelled him to uh, to contract himself and to create this limited world from his infinity. And he did this out of his love for the Jewish people in order to bring them close to him, to become encompassed in his unity and oneness. And this is why when we continue on in this blessing of the, of the Avatolam, we, it goes on and it says, which literally means exceeding abounding compassion. Meaning to say that the compassion that God gives to us, to the Jewish people here, is over and above. It's, it's exceeding the compassion that he gives to all of the heavenly hosts above. And then when we go on and we say, that you chose us from every single nation, from all of the languages of the world. This is meaning to say that it's, it's referring to our physical body with its all of its materiality out of the different bodies of the nations of the world. So meaning to say this is a big topic in Hasidus that's discussed at length elsewhere, is that when God chose the Jewish people, it's not just that he chose our souls, because it's like this, our souls are very distinct and they're very recognizable as being different. But really what is truly amazing about God having chosen us, the Jewish people, is that he didn't just choose our souls. He actually chose our bodies, which is much more of a like pure choice in the sense that our souls, you could say, okay, our souls are really different. You see a Jewish soul, you see a non-Jewish soul, they're they're very distinct, they're very different. But when you look at the Jewish people's bodies versus non-Jewish people's bodies, they appear to be the same. So in choosing that, that's a more free kind of actual choice. It's not a, cho- a choice that's compelled by any one thing. Like if you have two things that are really obviously very different than one another, then it might be easier or we can understand that choice and we can say that the person was just like motivated to make that choice because of their history or whatever it is like if you have like a choice between chocolate and spinach and you say pick the one that tastes better you know most people most likely would pick that chocolate with maybe some a few rare exceptions but if you had two different pieces of chocolate and they were both equally good and they both really didn't have anything that would could make one superior over the other and you choose that chocolate one of the chocolates over the other that's more of a a pure kind of choice so that's the kind of choice that god by with which god chose and continues to choose the jewish people is from this like place of real choice it's not that he's like compelled to choose us he actually decides willfully to choose us and then it goes on and it says that you have brought us near to give thanks and this idea of giving thanks the altar says will be explained more elsewhere uh and then it goes on and it says meaning to say that we should proclaim your oneness to become encompassed in God's blessed oneness as we discussed above. So that's the end of the section for today. So just in conclusion, basically the point of today is really to explain that second blessing that we say before the Shema, which the second blessing is really all about focusing on this avatolam, this love of the world that God has, this this love that God has by which he needed to set himself aside 
in order to create the world, and he focused his love on the Jewish people. And so, in or and and that's the reason that why he did this. So, meaning to say that out of God's love of the Jewish people, this impelled him to put himself aside for there to be a world through which he could relate to them for us to be able to connect with God. Just like that we can understand that if you love somebody and you really want them, you will have to do certain things to set yourself aside and to constrict yourself in certain ways in order to have them connect with you. So that is it for today and we will continue tomorrow and I'll speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzhak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.